Cool. Okay, so the first question on the list is, um, what do you feel are the key changes that an athlete needs to make in terms of their mindset, like from going from club level to national team level? Yeah, um, I think the biggest thing is just being able to understand what, what's at stake and the kind of the commitment that you need to make. Um, and not only that, then as well, you need to consider the whole idea of being comfortable with the chaos of it. Like when you're at club level, it's a bit more straightforward and it's just kind of for fun and whatever. Um, so, yeah, so it's like working like with your emotions more and not leave them overwhelm you because... I feel like a lot of people at the, the top level, they almost beat themselves before they step on the ring a lot of the time. Like it's not, it's like the opponents and the skills level are very, very close. But in terms of the mental side, a lot of people beat themselves before they get anywhere. Um, so that's that's a massive thing. And just like something that we've been really focusing on of, of late is the whole idea of the, the threat versus challenge state. And what kind of state of mind are you in? Are you in like a challenge approach where you're thinking okay this is a great opportunity and everything is about this is good or are you kind of like overwhelmed and like feel threatened by the situation so you're like oh my god this is like the world's going to end here if it doesn't go well and stuff so just kind of like getting that whole idea um across is so important and then like of course you, at the top level you need confidence as well like confidence is so important you need to be able to believe in yourself when the chips are down and things aren't going your way it's inevitable for it to happen um, so like you need to have something there in the back pocket to be able to, to draw from um, and, and really like push forward when, when the going gets tough yeah but other than that I guess the only other thing is like the whole commitment side of it like you need to kind of I suppose between non-elite and elite the biggest difference for me is you need to understand the why behind it and like the, the athletes more so they need to have a, a real deep why as to why they want to achieve it as like a driving force for everything they do. So is it like, are you just kind of turning up because it's fun and it's what your friend's doing or is it something deep inside you? And, and that's kind of going to be the main difference that pushes you forward. As we said, like when the, when the going gets tough or when you need to really, when, when you're feeling not so good on the ring, the edge of the mats and you're about to step on and you feel like absolute crap, but you, like that, that why is driving you something a bit deeper. You know, I think that's, that's the biggest thing. Okay. Um, next one is, have you ever struggled to have a positive coach-athlete relationship? And if you have, what were the key factors that caused it to be a bit of a struggle? Yeah, like, luckily for me, I got I get on really well with all my athletes. Um, but, like, of course, like, I've experienced on the, on the flip side of being aware of coaching and relationships with people that there can be like a clash of personality and sometimes people don't get on as well um, and that can be of course a challenge um, so like working with a coach as well who maybe like you're not really fully confident in their like skills or their knowledge or like when 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 you need them by your side are they going to be there and they, are they going to give you the correct advice like is the communication going to be there I like as well, I guess, in terms of like the relationship of a positive coach-athlete relationship, it takes years and years and years to develop that. So you need to be able to, like most of the time, at least in elite sports, you're probably going to be working with a coach for a long time. But then you might be uh, working with like a national team coach, for example, or whatever, that you haven't worked with for so long. So it takes time to build that relationship, even like things like 
terminology and, and like what words you use for specific like cues or movements or whatever that like it's something that you take for granted but it's really really important yeah um do you think then having experienced the flip side of you struggling to have a relationship with a coach it's helped you to kind of know where to go with your own athletes so that there isn't that clash yeah i think you know like the biggest thing with the relationship is like are you doing it to help the athlete or are you kind of doing it from more of a selfish perspective and i think that's that that's a massive thing in the in the like are you really doing it for the athlete or are you kind of getting your own validation or trying to i don't know live live your career through them or whatever and so i think like that's that's a big thing you have to again going back to kind of what we said earlier with with the why it's like why are you doing this in the first place and i think once you once you're aware of that and once you're on everyone's on the same page it just makes it much easier um have you found a theme of uh perhaps junior first time they come up um to national team have you found a theme of people being overconfident or maybe perhaps even ignorant um yeah 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 have you yeah i have yeah it's probably even happened to me myself personally like you kind of oh you think you're the bee's knees now but it's it's even like a complacency thing as well whereas like the people to get to that stage are training so hard they're putting in so much work and then like it's almost the selection is almost like yeah we've done it not about the tournament that you want to go and try compete in and win and do well in. so that complacency can definitely set in you know um it's like, it's like, it's again, it's, for me, it just kind of goes back to that original why. Sometimes people are led by their friends and they just want to do it because all their, their mates are gone. But like maybe something, a certain athlete has something deeper inside and that's going to keep driving them to go forward in terms of like the complacency side of things. Um, overconfidence. Yeah, I think that like it really depends on the culture that's, that's there in, in your school or in your club. And then even at the national team level as well, it's like, are you going and, you, and, you, and you're the crop the, 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 up at the top when you go to the national team? Probably not. So you'd probably get taken down a peg pretty quickly. Um, yeah. But then when you come back to the club, you're, you're, it's kind of almost like secondary school. It's like when you, you're in, in, in Ireland, we call it sixth class. I don't know what you guys have in the UK, but like when you're in sixth class in primary school, and then you go to secondary school and you're back down to the bottom of the tier your first year again. You know, it's kind of like that transition a little bit where like in your club, you're up at the top and then you go to the national team selections or whatever. And you're probably down the pecking order a little bit again. So I think it's having that balance is so important and to have people that will challenge you and almost like keep you in your place. It's very difficult to when you're at the top all the time, then the culture needs to come from the top down. Um, so for junior athletes, it's probably something that they have to look up to. And, and for me, it's more about like setting the correct tone from the top down. Yeah. And um, for more of the senior guys to set that tone. Um, so if you had someone in your club who was a junior, just came up with all the arrogance, all the overconfidence, what would you do to kind of let them know that's not quite on? Yeah. Well, I guess like, how I'd approach it is I probably like luckily for me I've competed at that level and I can kind of understand it so that for me that's a massive advantage because I can almost relate to my athletes a little bit more and, and chat to them and explain to them experiences I've been through and um, so maybe like sometimes you, you even have to like fabricate it a little bit but 
maybe you come up with a story of your own experience of, okay, I got on the national team in whatever year and the same thing happened to me. And then I went out and went to the Euros and got blown out of the water in the first round. So just being able to kind of relate to people like that and, and to kind of talk to them and give them your experience. I think that's a massive thing. And I was like, kind of like a light switch then. They're like, oh yeah, maybe so. I better be, be careful here and not leave that happen to me. And um, so I think that that's probably how I would approach it. Okay. Um, what are the main reasons, in your opinion, that can make working with elite athletes more challenging than working with the non-elite athletes? Yeah, that's a tricky one. Um, like, in a way, I prefer to work with the elite guys because most of them, they're kind of, they have, they know what they're about and they're there for a reason. So you get that work ethic and the attitude is correct and stuff. But then at the same time, it's like, why have they joined in the first place? Probably not for that at all. You know, so um, it's, it's kind of like knowing what's needed to support them, I guess, is, is very, very important because every athlete is, is different individually. So like some people may need a little bit of support. Some people may need like you need to get on their case and push them. Other people, it might be the flip side of that. It's, it's just kind of knowing what it takes and knowing it goes back to that relationship again that you have with your athletes that you develop over a long time, I guess. Um, at the elite level, obviously, there's way more at stake in terms of like they're kind of, especially when they get on the team for the first time, people can be a little bit more dependent on you to kind of like lead you in the correct way and to maybe bring you through the training protocol and, and, and things like that. So it's being able to balance all of that stuff. And then, of course, like most of the junior athletes, they have to balance their training life, their school life. And like the, the mental um, stress of it all and things like that, it's it's not easy, you know. So um, at at the elite elite level, as well, I feel that you're kind of you're you're trying to get the marginal gains and improvement, which can be like a, a challenge in itself as well. It's it's much easier like if you start something new and you get the newbie gains of something, that's always easier because you progress so much faster. So when it's the it's the flip side of that, and you're on the more elite side you're kind of looking for those marginal gains a little bit and then dealing with that and trying to keep people engaged and not kind of like not have it like be very repetitive. And that, that's a challenge as well, I guess. And with the, with the, with the higher level guys. So you kind of have to keep things fresh, especially if, if they're not being successful and, and they're, they're kind of repeating the same thing over and over again, it's important to be able to keep things fresh and engaging and still try push forward, find, find like the silver lining in things um, that you can get people to kind of push forward and still be engaged in what they're doing, I guess. Have you ever found with elite athletes that are generally winning most of the time, obviously because no one wins all the time, but winning most of the time, um, and say you spot something in their spar and you think that could be improved, is it hard to get them to want to change something if it's working for them? yeah it can be that is a challenge for sure and that's i guess that's that's the the, the kind of the balance you got to get as well as a coach just like are they getting reward from this even though like you know it, it's really hard to understand that and that's why i love competition personally because for me as a coach and even as athletes as well it's like the ultimate litmus test it's like is it working is it not working and so that's why competition is, is great. Even like from the mental point of view, it's like if you defeated yourself before you even stepped on the mats, like we spoke about earlier, it's like, okay, how do we go and approach this and adjust and to improve for the next time? 
And, and that, that's one of the, the beauties of competition. It's like, it, it's black and white. Things are either working or they're not. And then it, you, can, you can kind of adjust and improve. And that, that's, that's the fun aspect of it, really. It's like, can you go and, and to switch it up to, to keep moving forward? And, and being able to do that as a bit of a link is important. Like, it, it needs to be a buy-in from the athlete as well. It's so important. You can't just go around and tell them everything what to do. Not only, like, are they going to have no decision-making skills of their own, they're going to, like, depend on you so much, which is not good, especially in sparring, for example, where it's a very, like, thinking sport and you got to be on your feet and adjust and adapt. The rounds are, like, two, two minutes. So, like, that's such a short, quick time. So you have to be able to adjust in that time yourself and you can't depend on the coach, even if they're next to you. Um, and then on, on the flip side of that as well, like, if any anybody wants to really do something for themselves, it takes that personal buy-in from them so obviously there has to be that two-way communication and sit down have a conversation and maybe come up with a plan together and even if you can maybe put a plan or an idea in their head and then if they think that oh yeah that was actually my idea that that's even better that's even more of a win-win for you as well because like you're, you're there to support them and facilitate the improvement it's not about you as the coach and, and like standing at the top shouting orders and saying oh that was all me it, it goes back to like why you're doing it again you know yeah um so what do you personally so what would you expect from elite students psychologically and physically that mm -hmm. you perhaps wouldn't necessarily expect from your uh, like club level hobby students yeah well i think straight off the bat the first thing is like that commitment like commitment to be able to put in the time to put in the preparation and even like simple things of like what if you are in training and like and we're trying to facilitate environments for you to put you make you uncomfortable to just like to embrace that chaos and, and just not give up so easily like simply the, like the only things that i require from from athletes regardless is just simply attitude and work ethic which are two things that are really in your control as an athlete and um, but obviously just at that more elite level you, you just require a bit more and you're probably on their case a little bit more if, if they're giving up or they're not putting in that effort. Whereas like club level athletes, maybe like even like lower belts in our particular sport, for example, you're, you're not going to be on their case if, they, if, if like green belts, blue belts, whatever, you know, they're only kids at the end of the day, mostly. So you're not going to be on their case as much. Whereas if people, if you have, if you sit down with your athletes at the elite level and you have that conversation and we're both on the same page of where you want to be and why you want to get there, then that gives me kind of almost the backing to say, hey, like you said this yourself, like, is it true? Do you want to be there? Do you not want to be there? And to almost hold them accountable. So it's just that like accountability almost, but like coming from their side and just almost as a, a reminder to them is just so important. So it's just all about that work ethic and just putting in that extra work, the commitment. Um, how would you say the training is different for elite athletes and then club level students? So the actual physical training, what would you mm. say is the main differences between those? Well, I guess like the club athletes training, they just come train whatever twice a week. And then it's just a very general class trying to focus on hitting all aspects of the martial art. And like there's, so many things you can do there's like flexibility training and leg strength there's patterns there's like so many things you can do and trying to fit that into one hour is like very very difficult whereas like the elite guys they're, they're very specific in their training of what why they're training especially for sparring 
and they will be just doing sparring training outside of their regular sessions so they'll come with the groups uh, who are training twice a week but they got to put in that extra work then as well between their cardio training between their specific sparring training their skill training and so there's a little bit more of like just a bit narrow towards the top of what you're focused on um, is it, as opposed to more of a general base for the more elite, um, sorry, for more for the club guys. So would you say the main thing then is the intensity that they train at? Yeah, I guess so. Like once you're really delving into a specific area, like then you have the opportunity to, to ramp it up in that area, of course. Um, so you, you can really, you, like you're going to have a group of people who are, pushing themselves then as well so it's not really like a big group so you can really focus in on that small group of people and and give them the time that they need and facilitate like what the type of training they need and of course the intensity there is very important which 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 can be hard on the athletes as well you know you need to balance that with keeping things fresh and keeping things more more kind of engaging for them and because like doing this for a week week on week on week for for months to prepare for a championships for example it, it, it's not easy you know people like you have to sacrifice a lot in terms of time you don't see your friends when you're a young teenager for example and it's not easy so you, you want to make it as easy as possible for the athletes allow them to recover so you can kind of ramp up that intensity again with, because they're motivated to do so yeah okay um how would you build mental strength within elite athletes and would mm. that differ to club level students yeah that, that like that's a tricky one and that's something that a lot of people struggle with like as i said earlier most people like beat themselves rather than getting beaten by an opponent just having like not flowing themselves not being themselves having the being so overwhelmed and anxious that they just can't process regular thoughts that they can in the club you know, you always get those people who are like they excel in club training when the pressure's off, and then when the pressure's on, it's just like the opposite. And um, so, it actually for us, we actually had like I mentioned like the litmus test thing earlier. We had an experience maybe two years ago where there was a selection tournament for us for a lot of our higher level black belts for um for the team, and we didn't perform as well as we could. Uh, a lot of us, some people did, some people didn't. And we had a discussion afterwards with the group and we kind of came up with the whole idea that they were, it was the mental side that was the challenge. And, and the, the big part for that was actually um, not focusing on the controllables for them. Control, like worried about opponents and their names that they had associated, maybe winning medals previous or whatever, and the pressure of the event and things like that. So that, that actually, as like I said, for me as a coach, that was great because now it gives me a new area to go and delve into and maybe learn a bit more about and to upskill in. So we can't, we kind of between like books, podcasts, whatever, really got stuck into this topic myself for a, a good while and pulled all the information together and kind of came up with a little bit of a, like almost like a package or a toolkit and um, to help the athletes. And it's been fantastic. It's really helped them. And we basically came up with a, a pre-event document where there's things laid out where your controllables, the athlete lists them out, their event goal, what's their their goal for the event, um, and things like that, their strengths, their weaknesses, maybe their routine. And it's just like all in one package of a nice one tidy document. And it just keeps things a bit more structured for them because 
it's all well and good right now knowing how to oh yeah it's fine i'm relaxed i'm going to be okay and then you go to the event and you're you're panicking and your heart's beating and you're racing and your your mind's going crazy so just to have these things there and even like um a list of like smart thoughts so we 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 spoke to them about um having smart thoughts like if, if you don't win this election tournament it's not the end of the world life goes on you know what i mean your family isn't going to throw you out of the house or anything so sometimes we can just like put everything into this one event or whatever so just like even having those lists of smart thoughts for people and like i'm i gave a big list of potential ones that make sense and logical thoughts and logical like statements for example and then the athletes just kind of go through it and pick ones that are relevant to them and they just put them into their document and then they have their own little um personal little pre-event doc um that they can just pull up on their phone or they can print it out whatever and it's just it just helps them to kind of almost structure the mental side of it a little bit more and it's been very very helpful for us that's really good uh, so you you would say self-talk is a big thing whether it's positive mm. or negative that can affect performance then massive yeah yeah like the self-talk it's like it's what you what you tell yourself most of the time whether it's true or not it, usually we believe it and it impacts us but like anything that you tell yourself whether it's true to you, like once it's true to you whether it's logical or not it's going to impact you either positively or negatively so understanding that is so important as well so when you can prepare this self-talk prior and um, it can be very beneficial because it's there and the reminders are there for you to see like oh yeah that's true uh, as opposed to when you're there in the event your self-talk will will be, be dependent on your state of mind and your and your emotions which most of the time isn't going to be positive and you have those doubts and you're like you're like oh should i really be here have i put in the work so like even simple things like keeping a, um, a diary is very important of just like tracking your your training two things you did well one thing you want to improve on and just taking those two things you do do well from multiple sessions and putting them into your strengths on, on the document is very valuable for the students we we've seen and in that self-talk of this is what i am good at i have put in the work and the evidence is there like the evidence is is, the, is massive like what evidence do you have of your abilities and, and like are you worthy basically to be able to go out there and compete with this level uh, and most of the people they put in the work and, and they should be there. It's just having that confidence in yourself and just having that there um, like as a tangible kind of thing to pull from to help yourself talk uh, has been massive. Yeah, because you see it quite often in like mid-level competitions, don't you? You get like a medium-sized guy, sees a small guy, absolutely obliterates him, sees a big guy and goes, oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they just it happens freeze so up. often. Yeah. Um, have you ever had an elite student come to you with chronic stresses or anxious thoughts? Um, and if you have, how did you help coach them through it? Mm, yeah, like that has happened. Um, and luckily, I think that goes back to kind of like the, the relationship you have as well with your athletes. And I like to think that like we, we have a very like open relationship in terms of communication with a lot of my elite athletes. There's not like a very like, you know, the respect is, is both ways. And I think that's important as well as in it flows both ways the, the respect and the communication so it's not where they're afraid to come and talk to me and express themselves which i think is massive as a foundation to even to be able to even help them um so like one of a couple of things that we've worked on again like all this work for me happens prior 
as in like they're aware of the things that impact their mental performance. And then for me, it's just reminders of, of just being able to help them with being in control in the moment, like giving uh, reminders of how to be in control, how where to be confident and things like that. And just being present is so important as well. I mean, like every human is anxious at some stage or another. And that all comes from either being stuck in the present or sorry, stuck in the past or stuck in the future with your thoughts. And that's very much the case in competition as well. You're like, oh my God, what's it going to be like when I step on the mats? Well, you're not on the mats right now, so just relax. So maybe just like bringing your breath back down, just being able to control your breathing is massive. What's what's wrong right now? What's important right now? So most of the time, like when you're on the ring, it's when you're in the action, you don't have time to think and be worried. It, it's, the, it's the couple of moments prior or the morning of or the night before where you're thinking of the future is the problem. So if you have, if you, it's just for me as a coach is to help them to just remind themselves to be present and just having that routine as well can be so important. Like if you have a, a warm up routine, for example, it just keeps you present and keeps you ticking over. All right, take that box, take that box. Now let's move on to this part of my preparation. And that just helps them to be a little bit more present, you know, and, and going back to um, like that document as well, the reminders of like the smart thoughts that they have um, and, and reminders of being in a challenge state as opposed to a threat state where like everything is anxious and people are becoming overwhelmed and things like that. And just understanding as well that every single person experiences this, that you're going through. Like it, you're not different to anybody else. Everybody is nervous. It's, and it's actually a good thing to be nervous. It's just not leaving that becoming overwhelming for your performance is so important. So just having that structure behind you for me is, is just massive. Do you think the, the lack of emotional composure at a competition is more common amongst juniors than seniors? Or would you say it's pretty even? Yeah, well, I guess it's probably harder for juniors because I guess they probably know themselves a little less as well in terms of personally because they're that bit younger. And as a teenager, you're kind of just finding yourself and what you're about. Adults have a bit more awareness and self-awareness about themselves and they probably care a bit less about what people think, you know, whereas younger athletes, they're very much influenced by, by the outside environment, as in what will these people think of me, etc. Um, I guess like the junior athletes have a bit more pressure on their shoulders in terms of what they perceive, although it's not a reality. It's probably a bit more on the flip side. Um, and I guess just like most, at least in our sport, anybody who's at the senior end, like 99.9% would have competed as a junior. Like there, it's very rare in, in ITF Taekwondo that you'd have somebody competing as a senior who was at, at, at international level and um, who has not competed as a junior. It's very, very rare that you just come on the scene as, a, as an 80, 19, 20 year old and, and be, uh, be successful really at that level. So the, the experience of all that really helps as well as in the years and years you have of the trial and error and, going through these emotions is very valuable to a senior um so yeah i think i think the seniors probably have it a little bit easier um than the juniors um how would you support an elite athlete with a severe injury so to the point where maybe they're out for six weeks or longer um so mm. what advice would you give them because obviously they start to get in their head and think oh well, i'm never, never going to come back because they're young and they don't understand 
Yeah, that, that's a very challenging one. Actually, it occurred for us last year um, at a tournament we were preparing to go to was it the Euros and one of my black belt students who made a team actually had an injury in our local competition um, and ruled them out of, of that event. Uh, luckily enough, like with COVID, it's actually probably the best time ever to be injured because there's not much going on. And that tournament actually didn't happen in the end. And so like, there's always a silver lining, like whether it's that, like that's an easy one to pull from. But then maybe it's like, okay, maybe I'm getting this injury now. And as opposed to further down the line, when I am maybe, now I I can be a bit more aware. Maybe I didn't warm up correctly. Maybe it was just a freak accident, who knows? Um, But but always trying to just pull that silver lining from it is so important. And it's always there if you get creative enough and if you know your athletes enough. Um, but it is a challenge for sure, like especially with the younger guys, it's they're very much like short term focused, as in everything is about is about right now. It's like they don't see the long term picture at all, so that can be very much a challenge. And um, luckily enough for for me, when it happened, COVID was a was a feature of of the the tournaments being cancelled and training not going on and stuff. So it's the best time ever to be injured if if you have to pick a time. So yeah, just that silver lining was a uh, was useful for us. Um, what are the major differences in an elite national team member enduring a severe injury compared to a club level competitor that had the same injury? So like what, mm. what more do they lose? Yeah, well, like talking on, on that of the whole idea of COVID, for example, and then going back to our conversation that we just had about the juniors and the seniors, like with with COVID now, for example, and injuries, same thing, um, being out for almost two campaigns or two seasons means a lot of juniors don't get that experience. I know some juniors will be going into the senior ranks without really having that experience of two whole seasons. And two whole seasons in our sport can be maybe four major championships or cups or international events, which is a lot of experience to, to, to have in your back pocket. So I guess um, just in terms of that alone, like being able to, that's going to be interesting to see when we go back. The, the athletes who are jumping into the senior ranks with only that limited experience, how they're going to adapt and, and how they're going to cope with that. What was, what was the original question again? Sorry, I went on a tangent there. <laughs> it was, um, what are the major differences in terms of severe injury for, say, if an ah, elite right. national team member breaks their arm and then a club level person breaks their arm? So what mm. more... Who loses more? Yeah, well, like, I guess, like, the, the club athletes, they'll just go off for cover, and, like, they're probably doing loads of other sports as well. And then it's just, like, like their training is just something they do. It's not, whereas, like, the elite guys, it's a big part of their life. Um, like, like, a lot of the time when you're competing at international level, like, a lot of your life is dedicated to this in terms of sacrifice of time and everything you do. Um, so a big chunk of your life will be taken, uh, not away from you, obviously, but uh, it, it's just, it's a different scene and you got to adapt a little bit more and, and to almost fill that void. Um, so yeah, it, it, for uh, somebody who just does it as a hobby, I think it, it, it's not as detrimental as opposed to somebody who's more elite. But then at the same time, I mean, like you got to just come at this from a logical approach as well. It's not the end of the world. I mean, you will recover, you will get back. I mean, there's been thousands and thousands of athletes in all sports who have gone through horrific injuries and come back and, and been successful again. So 
why can't you you know what i mean so it's just taking that that silver lining approach again is so important but as you as we mentioned earlier like that the long-term vision for juniors in particular is is a challenge like they only see the next couple of weeks or whatever as as their whole life they can't see like two or three years down the line and which you know that that's a challenge when you've got a a very serious injury and you're losing a lot of time and and just keeping them involved as well is is a challenge a lot of time if you have a, a club athlete who gets an injury they'll probably just go off and recover and they might even change their lifestyle and they might not come back if, if it's a serious injury. Whereas the elite guys, like it's important to keep them involved. Maybe usually the elite guys are black belts and they have knowledge they can pass on. So maybe you can get them involved with some coaching and um, depending on the injury, of course, but um, just trying to keep them involved a little bit in, in, in what's a major part of their life, I think is, is a good way to go about that. Just, not let them drift off and kind of lose a big chunk of their lifestyle and something that is a major part of their life just helping them to adjust and adapt it in a different way maybe just a different path for a while you know maybe whether that's coaching whether that's umpiring whatever just keeping them involved in the scene and and, and the community community of the club it, it's just a it's that's a big thing and just being able to be supportive of them is massive um going back to what you said about covid and how some juniors maybe they were selected for this year and they haven't got to do it and then Mm. maybe they're going to be a senior the next trial how do you think that will affect their mental state if they trial for senior they've never had the experience of a world's or euros and then one of the seniors just beats them out of the spot and they just yeah back on well i guess there's two ways to look at this number one they've nothing to lose because that's what everybody's expecting so that's a great way to go into this with a challenge mindset as opposed to a threat there's no threat on you here you know what i mean you've got a fantastic challenge and a fantastic opportunity with nothing to lose so that that's the way i'd be i'd be saying it to my athletes you've nothing to lose here i mean uh, and then on the flip side of that as well everybody in the whole world is in the same situation it's not just us so every other junior who's been in the same boat as you has probably missed out on two full seasons also and so like everybody that you come up with against is going to be in the same boat so why can't you thrive in that situation just like everybody else um do you think national team coaches get irritated with the setback of an athlete being injured um say if they're in like maybe they're training really well really hard and you're seeing that they they're a contender for uh winning Mm. and then the month before they get a big injury and they can't compete anymore do you reckon yeah. that it'd be irritating for coaches or? Of course, like it's irritating for everybody. Like it's, it's disappointing. I, I would probably say more than irritating, I guess, because like a lot of times this stuff is out of your control and just understanding that that's another massive part of the mental side of the game and knowing what is in, con- in your control and what's out of your control. I mean, whether somebody gets injured or not, 99% of the time it's a freak accident and that's out of your control. It's out of the athlete's control. There's nothing you can do about that. Of course, you're disappointed. You put in a lot of time. You put in a lot of work. I mean, but look, life goes on. You, you, you get them opportunities back again. And all that work that you put in foundation-wise, you, you've probably learned from it. There's been a good base being put in. I mean, of course, you're going to learn from that. And um, it's going to be always there for you to kind of draw upon. So uh, absolutely disappointing. But again, like maybe some coaches will get more disappointed than others and get really frustrated. And again... I would go back to that idea of why you're doing it. Are you doing it for the athlete's sake? Or are you doing it for your own 
validation or your own self-worth or whatever and that that in itself is something worth analyzing as a coach as well i mean if you get so hung up on an athlete being injured i mean like you know there's plenty of other athletes that you can go and help as well and, and dedicate your time to um so maybe maybe like maybe having one athlete isn't the, the best way having multiple athletes that you can dedicate your time to and help is, is a good way to approach that as well but you got to be supportive of that athlete who's injured as well and not just throw them to the side and forget about them you know what i mean it's getting that balance of being supportive of all your athletes okay um how in your opinion are the stresses different between national team coaches and someone who's just coaching club level what are the different stresses that they have themselves mm, that's worse for me for example i'm not a national team coach um, but i have national team athletes who go and compete and i go and travel to the events and i'm watching on the sidelines and it's just uh it's nerve-wracking it's way worse Whereas at least when you're on the side of the ring, you're a bit more composed because you're in the action and you're you're trying to help them a little bit more. Um, but yeah, it, it's like, I guess it like it's different for every coach as well in terms of is your goal as a coach to produce competitors? Is it more of the martial arts side? Because some coaches who are at club level, they don't have much interest in what goes on. They'll support you, best of luck. We just But we'll still just do our regular club training and then you go off to the national team and you, that's just almost like separate. Um, but if, if you're very much involved in this journey with your athletes and your club athletes, it's, it's very much different and, and you kind of almost have that buy-in and, and you're, you're, you want them to do well and you're really pushing for them. And go, like, for example, going off to the events to support them and things like that. Uh, like that, that's, that's stressful as well. And yourself watching from the sidelines and almost like not having the ability to, to help them as much as you can as well but that kind of goes back then as well for me um like watching from the stands for example as opposed to sitting on the chair ringside it goes back to what i said earlier of being able to facilitate environments for your athletes in training where they can be like they can do it for themselves almost and they're not depending on you so much and like having that dependency and if you like dictate everything and oversee absolutely everything and have no buy-in from your athletes and that two-way street then they will become very dependent on you and you notice that like they're almost when when the going gets tough they're almost looking for you to see uh, they're not there in the chair behind me to help me and give me the advice um so like i i've actually noticed that myself that some athletes who their club coaches for example weren't very much involved i noticed that as the time went on they actually developed that almost like self-sufficiency to be able to go and do it themselves and it never mattered who really well not i wouldn't say never mattered but and um, the, the coach in the chair behind them had less of um a, an overall involvement in the decision and the result for example and um, they were able to like if there was nobody in the chair behind them they'd be able to be able to go and perform at a very high level as well um, and and that that's a very valuable skill you know, so um, it, like there's 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 a two way street there. Like, of course, it's great to have that support from your coach, but then you also you you pick up those valuable skills by not having that as well. So, yeah, you know what I mean. It, it's good and bad at the same time. Um. So the next one's a scenario question. Um. So you have an elite athlete who has won the Euros recently, um, and then at the World Cup a few months later, you've taken them there. 
and they lost in the second round. How do you think the junior athlete would feel in that situation where they've just become European champion and then all of a sudden they've lost in the uh, second round of a World Cup, but they've lost mm. to a, a club-level athlete, so the athlete wasn't even national team? Uh, okay, yeah, well, straight off the bat, disappointed, obviously. Um, yeah, so, like, of course they're going to be disappointed there. You, once you... Um, go and do that you have you have expectations on your shoulders straight away both from yourself from your coach from your friends um and again you're, you're going to be disappointed for sure and um, you expect to almost once you become a champion it's like ah, i've kind of like solved the puzzle almost and i know how to prepare now and if i just replicate that hopefully i'll get the same results and um, but so so then when you when you get a hiccup like that it's very much disappointing but like at that level especially in juniors i think seniors a bit different the, the the level of club athletes versus elite athletes at the senior level there's there's a big gap at the junior level because the experience level is a bit lower and they haven't they're probably like a club level um athlete and an elite athlete in the junior level they've probably put in the same amount of years in training for example so there's not a massive void indifference of their like experience and their level compared to senior i i would say um but of course they're, they're definitely going to be disappointed um how would you help them through that that disappointment and obviously the irritation of losing when you've just become a champion how would you as a coach help them to kind of get over that and start looking more to the next big comp instead of focusing so much on that one Mm. well i guess if, if i had to choose i prefer to lose in a cup than in a championships um so if you if you offered me to be a european cup champion versus a european champion um i would definitely pick the championships so i guess you could spin it that way and give a silver lining on it again and uh, but again like competition it's the ultimate test so obviously something didn't go correct which is a good thing so we haven't solved the puzzle completely yet we, we, we got there and it was a good result in the championships. But obviously, there's still way to go along the road and along the journey. And, and that's, that's the exciting bit, the, the chasing of the journey to get, to get to that mountain peak. The mountain peak is fantastic when you get there. Um, but once you get there and you're there for a while, then the motivation and, and like the, the excitement drops a little bit. Um, so ideally, the chase and, and like the, the trying to pursue a goal is, is almost the, the most exciting part. So again, like just revert back to that. And we have, we have another opportunity to go and chase that again, see what went right, continue that double down on it, see what, what didn't go so well, whether that's in the prep, in your training, in the, the mental side, maybe it was in the match, your, your thought process, your, your strategy, your tactics, whatever. And um, so just sit down, Bring it back to basics. What went right? What didn't go so well? And just go and chase it again. And, that, and that, that's the, the exciting part of the journey. Um, do you think that national team athletes would say that coaches are too hard on them in comparison to how the coach would train their fellow club level athletes? And, or would you say it's kind of on an even playing field the way that you would coach all of your athletes? Mm, like I guess it depends on, on the coach as well and um, what kind of a coaching style do you have are you kind of like that 
dictator who like stands at the top shouts out instructions are you a little bit more interactive like it depends on your own personality i guess but um of course you're going to be a little bit more you're going to expect more from the elite guys i mean if they're elite there has to be a difference somehow and it has to come probably from that training and and that that level of commitment and so if you want to be at that level you have to do something different so yeah of course there's going to be more expectations and you're going to be a bit harder on them but again it it reverts back to that communication you have in the first place like what do they expect are you you doing it just because it's a fun hobby for you you gotta remember like in in this sport that we're in nobody's getting paid you know it's an amateur sport it's a very high level it's the highest level we can compete in but at the same time some people aren't doing it for the same reasons as others so once you're clear on that and both people are on the same page then you can work with that a little bit more i think um and then you can that once that communication is there and you understand what's expected on both sides then there's nobody kind of on the other side expecting more from you that's not being put in for example so kind of managing those expectations and having that level of communication and, and that flow of information is important in that. Um, do you believe that the selection process can affect a junior athlete's mindset like significantly, or do you think it's kind of like a, they'll just take it on the chin if they don't get in or if they do get in, they'll just be like, okay, well, I'm here now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like a lot of time, the selection process, especially for juniors, it probably implies that they're not on the team. So for them, it's their first stage. So it's like the biggest event for them as of now. So it can be a big deal. Uh, I've experienced it like in teammates and even as a coach, like people are very much disappointed when they're not selected. And um, some people, people take it very personally um, and things like that as well. So you, you got to, again, take these things logically. Okay. Obviously like if you, if you want to be a champion and that's your goal and you can't even get selected, so maybe maybe you're a little bit off that yet. So if you can't even get selected and you want to go and be the champion, you need to revert back and you need to get to work and put in that work in the foundation level first before you can even go. And, like If you want to be the champion, you should be absolutely dominating and you should be an easy selection for the coaches to go and put you forward to hopefully step on the top step of the podium. Um, so yeah, I think that the selection process is difficult, but at the same time, it should be, it's also, it, it's, it's kind of like that test again of, of how you react to the, the emotional side and the, the mental side of the game. It's almost like a, a pre dress rehearsal of how you react when the going is tough and the pressure is increased. Um, do you believe that more often than not pressure makes or breaks junior athletes? Hmm. that's a good question i think it's probably it's probably on balance i think a lot of people they just can't handle it like if i if i think from my own perspective other things involved obviously as well uh other factors for sure like school whatever but most of the people that i've been on junior teams with not many of them have lasted through to the senior level. So I guess that tells the story in itself. But then on the flip side, those who have lasted, at least like we're very lucky in Ireland is the level is very, very high. So if you can stay and if you stick through it, you will get, you will get there eventually. Um, 
so like a lot of people who have stayed and have kind of like gone through that process they have been rewarded a majority of them and they have been champions of, in some some regard uh, whether that's like a pop champion or um, a championships whatever um, so yeah I guess like most people will probably fail and crumble to that pressure in conjunction with other factors in their life like school their age etc but those who do stay will probably get to the mountain mountain peak eventually it's one of those sports that if you stay you'll probably make it um, it's, it's one of those ones you know um, yeah just thinking from people that I know personally and stuff yeah I think so if, if you stay and you can put up with that pressure there's not as many of them obviously there's only one winner and there's only one person at every tournament who stands on the top step and there's I don't know 20, 30, 40 competitors in each division even more in some um, so obviously the odds are not in your favour to be on the top step so come, there comes pressure with that but at the same time no because there's only one person out of 40 so it's all kind of like how you look at it but um, in general to answer your question I would say most people will probably fall off but maybe that's in a combination of factors not just based on the pressure and the, the high level of it um, so I know we've spoken about the psychological needs to be a national team member, but this question is slightly different. So what do you think are the psychological necessities for an elite athlete to succeed at the elite level? So somebody, a medal winner versus just the national team member. Okay, right. I think you got, you need to have unbelievable self I don't know what you call it, like self-confidence, but you need like real belief in yourself that when the chips are down, that you can pull it out. Um, and that only really comes from a, the kind of being in that situation before and your evidence of being in that situation. Like most people aren't confident unwillingly, just like blindly, you know what I mean? They, they have experience and they have that evidence of being in that situation previously and succeeding, whether in training, whether at a lower level tournament or whatever. So just being able to have that courageous, challenging kind of mindset initially to go and put yourself in that situation, you notice that you start to achieve more and more and more. And when the odds are against you, you start to, oh yeah, I can pull through. And when the chips are down, you have that ability to kind of pull through. And then having that is a, is a massive part of being a champion. And not only that as well, it's like that inner drive is massive. Like speaking from my own personal um, experience, I didn't have the same drive as some of my other teammates had. And like that was the difference when I look back. Um, some guys just wanted it a little bit more. And that was the difference between getting, like for example, getting a third place in the Euros for me, as opposed to people being on the top step. And when I think about what was the major difference there, it was that inner drive as to why you wanted it. And these people kind of wanted it a little bit more deep down. Whereas personally for me, it wasn't the same as in I was doing it because I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the training. I enjoyed the, the social aspect of it and competing. And then of course I love being in the ring and competing and, and trying to get there. But when it, when it came down to it, it was like, 
are you really willing to put in that ultimate sacrifice compared to somebody else? And then some people are, and some people are not. And of course, I looking back now, I probably wish, yeah, yeah, you should have pushed it a bit more and wanted it a bit more. And but it, like that comes down to a multitude of factors. And um, but I think for me, that that is the difference between the top step and and being like third place or quarterfinals or whatever. A lot of the time, it's, it's it's that that drive, that inner drive to get it done no matter what. Whether that's to train harder, whether that's it's a, it's a draw in a contest, and and you have that grit to go and get it done. And then linking all that with the confidence, the drive, linking all that with just the composure as well to be able to perform at your best is massive. Um, yeah, I think that they're, they're three very important aspects, and um, that will really sep- separate the kind of the, the levels in this. Um, in training, have you ever noticed um, the junior elite athletes who have been recently injured? They're just coming back. Um, have you ever noticed them avoiding certain drills because they're fearful of re-injury? Um, and if you have seen that, what what would you say to them to kind of encourage them to get more involved and to not worry so much about past injuries? Mm, that that is a tricky one um i know that like most people who do get injuries they have that kind of like um i guess it's, it's just like that that mental box that they have to kind of compartmentalize that injury in and it's just like they're not really fully confident in their ability to push yet and i think that there comes a time when you will get that and it's just been patient with it i mean when you're recovering from an injury you can't just go from being injured and down to ramp it directly back up to where you were i mean it takes time to gradually build that up and to build that confidence in your in your in your body and in in the physical aspect of the injury as well to be able to be confident to to kind of like to exert yourself and to push that a little bit extra so i I think it's um time is a massive part and, and just being able to have the mindset to see the long-term picture again of where you want to get to, as opposed to overdoing it and probably being injured again. Um, but then once you have enough time to, to build that back up, then there comes a time when you need to be courageous and you need to probably just, just test it and push the boundaries a little bit. It, it's inevitable that that has to come at some stage. Um, but it's, it's just finding that balance between overdoing it too early and just, being over cautious for so for too long it's just, it's just kind of trying to balance that together is, is um is the key um so you said you've got students that have um gone into the national team now mm-hmm. um so if they obviously have just become a part of the national team have you ever noticed perhaps other club members treating them differently or is it generally just the same yeah like to the likes of yellow belts and younger kids, they're like gods. You know what I mean? It's like these people walk on water, like, you know. But to some people, it, they've known them forever. I mean, they've known them like since they've been white belts. So to them, they're just normal people as well. Um, but it's kind of like that as well. It's like once you're involved in something, you're like, oh, yeah, these are just regular people. It's like national team athletes. When you're trying to be on the team, you look up to the national team athletes and they're like, oh my God, these people are amazing. And then you get there, you realize, oh, they're just like me. They just put in that effort. They put in the work and, and whatever. But uh, 
yeah, you definitely, you definitely see people kind of look up to them, especially the younger kids. For me, um, all my athletes on the national team have been junior athletes, so they're teenagers. Um, my club is quite young as well, so it's our first batch of black belts. So not only are the younger kids looking up to them because they're black belts, the first batch in our club, but also because they're on the, the national team. So the younger kids especially do. Um, specifically for my situation, my three national team athletes are all female, which is very good as well because the younger girls look up to them a lot. Um, whereas the guys, they look up to them regardless. But I think it's very important for, for young girls to have role models who are also female. I think that really, really helps and drives them on. So um, the girls really look up to them, which is great. Especially for me as the head coach, as a male, it's great to have then on the other side to have female role models as well. Um, so, so that's massive. And um, yeah, the younger kids, they really do look up to them. Oh. <laughs> um, do you believe that uh, sometimes when certain athletes succeed, perhaps they've got, I don't know, silver, gold medals, uh, a big competition, that that success invokes jealousy from fellow athletes? Um, or do you reckon it's more support from other athletes mm, that's an interesting one it really depends doesn't it um it kind of depends on the well i guess that that's there's two things number one the culture of the team i mean when you look at our sport in particular look at norway when everybody wins a medal it's like everybody is ecstatic yeah. and it used to be like like that for us a long time ago in ireland because the medals were so few and far between that when somebody got a medal it was a massive deal when i look at norway for example they win consistently they're always up there in the top three countries and then if somebody wins it's a massive event and um, so i think the culture is very important and um, both like as like the culture in society in that country as well as the culture of a team uh, and then you like of course you got personal characters in there as well some people are just genuinely really happy for other people to succeed other people are very much focused on their own journey and yeah fair play to you you did great but it's about me which okay is fair enough they're there to do a job as well and other people are on the flip side they're like if they don't do well and you do do well that jealousy will creep in so it, it i guess it's a multitude of individual characters and um, contributed with like a team culture and, and a, like a, a structure of, of the culture in, in the it depends, I guess, whether you're like in your country or club team or whatever. In the team, we say in the team. Yeah. Um, have you ever run into a situation of the parent coach where a parent is almost getting over-involved in either their child's training or their competition? Mm, yeah, it's like the helicopter coach. Yeah, it's like uh, or the helicopter parent, they say it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. so it's like they just like hover over and they want to just like influence everything. Yeah, like, yeah, they, they, I think it's inevitable that as a coach, you're going to experience some of them. But on the flip side as well, some of those parents can be really valuable if you can, like, manage their their input. Like, if you can communicate with them and let them know what's what and, and how things are in, in a two-way communication street, as opposed to you telling them, okay, you got to stay away and blah, blah, blah. I think they can be very beneficial because parents who, who have their children's best interest at heart, of course, and they go and support them, they're going to be a valuable asset to you um, and, and be able to link up with them as a coach as well, I think can be a valuable thing. 
Um, but I think it's, it's when they they almost like try to put their own perspective on athletes when you know deep down that that's not the best perspective uh, because maybe they don't understand the sport very well or whatever. That That's very much a challenge. Uh, and at the end of the day, I mean, that's your parents are your parents. It's, it's not your job as a coach to overstep that mark either. Um, so yeah, that, that is a challenge for sure. And I'm, I'm sure that's probably something that as a coach, I'm probably going to have to, to experience a little bit more um, the more I coach. And you'll probably be able to um, experience a little bit more and deal with that. But yeah, very much. I think I think it, it's the case for every club or every athlete or every environment that has a group of people. You're going to get a few of those parents. But again, like some of those parents can be very valuable. Um, do you find that the idea of a parent coach is more common amongst the non-elite circuit rather than the national team circuit? Hmm. Do you do you mean like somebody who's involved in the sport or not involved in the sport um, themselves as the parents? Not involved as in, in like, the sport. Okay, so they're just right. there trying to coach their child with no real understanding of the sport at all. Yeah, yeah. Well, like I guess it, it's probably as the younger kids, they'll probably have a bit more of an influence and they want to be a bit more involved because one there's many more of the younger kids. So it's hard for a coach to give every kid specific time. Whereas on the elite higher side, there's, there's less of those athletes. So you as the coach can dedicate more time to those people and you can probably take them to the side and talk through. Whereas a lot of time, like at like club tournaments, for example, as a coach, you can't go around and like you try, but if you have 20, 30 athletes at an event, you can't go around and like guide each one of them through their whole experience. So that's where the parents very much are valuable and they come into it. And, and obviously they have much more of an impact. They're trying to encourage them. The, the younger kids as well, they're extremely nervous and they'll be crying and all that stuff. So like the parents there are very much a valuable asset. And of course, when the elite guys like elite is much older. So obviously the parents are going to be after taking that back, back step more naturally um, and they'll probably just leave them go about it a bit more because they realize, okay, I don't really understand as much about this sport as other people do or whatever. So as well as that, like the, I guess most teenagers will want their parents to not be involved anyway. So you're going to have that confrontation in some sort of, uh, it's probably going to come up beforehand anyway. And like they have an agreement of right, stay away, or you can be involved, whatever. Like I know some people, they don't want their parents to be there. Um, so yeah, I think that that as you get older will probably be a conversation that you would probably have to have with your parents as an athlete. Um, do you find that amongst the non-elite circuit, so maybe these are people perhaps in development team for national team, possibly. So they're not quite on the national team yet, but they're kind of gearing up to get there. Um, mm. Do you find that the pushy parents of those people are usually the ones that have a need for their children to be in the national team to kind of elevate their social status in, I suppose, in a club level environment? Or mm. do you think it's just a natural thing that they're just pushy because they want their child to succeed for them? Yeah, I guess like every parent naturally wants their child to do well and their child to succeed. But yeah, of course you get those parents who are almost trying to live their sporting experience and their sporting careers through their kids, um, which is 
I don't think that's a good thing. I mean, there, there, there is the fine line there of being supportive and then like being overly pushy um, as well. So, yeah, I think like I think it, it's natural for a parent to want the best for their child, but you, you can't overstep the mark. I mean, eventually you have to go and leave, as they say, like leave leave the the bird, leave the nest, and you have to like just support them enough that they can go forward and do things for themselves. And um, you can't you can't just like be overly protective and it's kind of like what i said earlier with, with, with uh the elite guys it's like for me as a coach i can't hold their hand and spoon feed them so much that they can't do it for themselves and it's the same thing on the parent side i mean there, there, there is that balance especially i suppose it depends on the ages as well like for the younger kids a little bit different um but like eventually as they get older you, you kind of just have to let go of the reins a little bit and just support them more in the selection eh, selection process, um, do you believe that there's any favoritism? And if you do believe that, why? Mm, of course. Uh, it's natural for you to want to see your own athletes. I mean, like if it's a 50-50 thing and there's like it's a toss-up where like both athletes could be selected, you're gonna probably want to push your own athlete if it's if it's a flip of a coin. It's natural, of course. And uh, I think. I don't know for every selection process for every national Taekwondo team, but I would say a majority of them are made up of coaches who actually have athletes involved also. And so it's natural for them to want to push their own guys as well. When you see the work that your own athletes put in um, and you see them week in, week out, you're convinced that they're putting in the work to succeed and they're going to be successful. So as opposed to somebody who you see maybe once a month, once every two months, you don't know what they're doing and the work they're putting in. So you don't see them so often. So it, when it comes down to that, like 50, 50 flip of a coin thing, of course there's favoritism. That's only natural as a human, I guess. So would you say it's kind of in the selection process, it'd be more from national team coaches anyway, it'd be more justified favoritism in the sense that, they know the athlete will succeed, not just because they like them as a person. Yeah, it depends, doesn't it? It depends. I mean, like, of course, you're going to get situations where they're just pushing their athlete because they're at, they're, they're athlete as well. I mean, um, sometimes, like, even for junior athletes, you might not have seen them around on the circuit and the club scene, so you don't even know what they're capable of. And obviously, you just push your own guy and you, you don't... Yeah, I think that's that is very much... Um, something that happens not all the time but it is it is something that happens I'm sure of in every single country and I think as well like in, in the sport that we're in there's that whole idea of like a hierarchical thing whereas like um, that might not be the case in other sports because we have ranks and it's a martial art for example um, like the hierarchical thing is very much um, an important factor in that so that does contribute as well to things like that and people having more of a say and a bit more power, I guess, over selection. Um, and of course, then people can swing that power in their favor, um, whether justified or, or not. It depends. And I think that all just comes down to individual situations. Um, so following on from the whole selection process sort of idea, um, if you were to hear students, so the ones that haven't been selected, kind of walking out the room and saying that 
oh, it's pure favoritism that people have been chosen um, mm. just because they weren't selected. How do you think that that would make the athletes and the coaches that spent all that time choosing, how do you think it would make them feel? That's a great point, you know, and, and a lot of time as humans, we're just kind of like consumed with our own perspective and how it affects us individually. Um, but yeah, you don't think of that really a lot of the time. Um, and of course, they put in the work on their own side as well. I think it goes back again to that thing that we mentioned earlier of if like if it's that close in selection, maybe it's more in your best interest to go back to the drawing board and progress your own level up as opposed to being in that situation where it's so close. I mean, maybe if you want it that badly enough and your your goal is actually above selection, is to go on and win medals, etc., then maybe maybe you're not ready for it anyway, if, if that's the case. Maybe that you need to go back to the drawing board and, and increase your level. Of course, you want to give your athletes the best chance available. And if there's a slot available and you think, yeah, these guys are just as much ready as anybody else, then of course you want your athlete to go and fill that slot. Um, that's just natural, of course. Um, so, yeah. Um, do you feel that all national team junior students feel that they can speak to any coach, whether national team or club coach, um, about any stresses that they're dealing with, whether it's to do with training or to do with personal life? Or do you think they kind of just treat it as a professional environment so they don't want to speak to their coaches about things? Mm. In short, no. Um, there's a few reasons for that. Number one, some of the national team coaches, you might have met them three or four times. So if you meet somebody three or four times, maybe you're not going to be inclined to open yourself up and be vulnerable and maybe express those feelings or whatever. Um, as well, maybe not every single coach is, is as open and inviting as a person as others. Um, and then on the flip side of that, maybe same thing for athletes. Some athletes will bottle things up and they won't even tell the closest people in them in their lives about things. Whereas other people are very much open in their communication and, and they will express how they feel very easily. And it just comes second nature to them. So, yeah, I think it, it depends, really. It's, it's very much an individual thing across both sides. If it came to light about a certain particular student who wants to speak to you as a coach about personal things but feels they can't because they're scared to mm. how would you let them know that you are approachable in that situation yeah well I guess from my own perspective like you develop these relationships for years and years and years in the club environment like anybody who's been around you and wants to discuss something like that with you in the first place has to be comfortable with you to speak with you in the first place like they're not going to want to talk to you specifically about something that is maybe maybe it's like a, a certain topic that that they wouldn't speak to everybody about so obviously they feel that you're somebody that they can trust and somebody that that can can help them so that doesn't come just easily either you know you got to put in the years there and build that relationship time um, with people so I think that for me personally I just try to come across with all my students as an approachable coach as in the communication is very much two ways it's not very much from the top down 
and that's the culture I've tried to build in my in my school and in my club. Um, everybody is entitled to express their opinion, wants a sort of respect, and all of my students know that, and all of the coaches and everybody in the club knows that that anybody is free to express anything in any way, even if you want to call me out on something, no problem, but just do it in a respectful manner and, and try to come at it. It, with, with a little bit of evidence and not just like throwing stuff out there and just accusing people of stuff and that's important but it's important to have that accountability both ways as well like you don't want to be the coach and say oh everything i do is correct because that's not a good approach for you as a coach and you're not going to develop and um, so like i i openly want my athletes to to communicate back to me did I do a good job there? Was there something that you would like me to improve on in terms of how we do this as well, especially the elite guys? Um, because it is a two-way thing. And I think because of that, you build a, a respect. And uh, Again, kind of what I said earlier, because of the particular sport we're in, respect is massive. But sometimes because of that hierarchical approach again, it can be very much respect one way, and it has to be two-way thing, you know what I mean? And I think that that's so, so important. And once people understand the culture of that and understand that that is something that needs to be a two-way street, I think that you kind of open up the, the doors then for more kind of more approachable interactions with your students and the ability for them to approach you. Like I like in the Zoom class that we have at the minute in lockdown, like there's there's the kids there who are very young and yellow belts, for example, they're just speaking to me openly. And and kids will do that naturally. If they have trust in you, they they'll tell you anything. Like they come up with crazy stuff, you know what I mean? Um so like it, it's been it's having that approachable kind of demeanor and how you coach as well. Like if you go in there and you're very stern and you're very cross like of course people aren't going to want to approach you and talk to you and stuff like that so um yeah i think your own personality comes across there as well um what are your thoughts on the lack of female representation amongst national team coaches and do you think that the lack of female representation as a coach in a national team um can affect the junior females time in that national team as in in terms of say if something has happened on the trip where you're away um mm. and they feel nervous about speaking to a male coach what do you think about the, that lack of female representation so they don't really some of them don't feel like they have someone to go to mm. that's very much important um and it really depends because there's some countries in our sport in particular, they don't have a female representative um, in, in the, we say even female senior, we guess, you know, some, sometimes there's just no senior females there. Um, but I think that that is something that's improving and there's more and more females coming into the sport now at the senior level because they're being pushed up from junior. And just speaking from my own country, like we've got a massive female representation in terms of the team, both senior and junior. Um, at the minute, there is no female coaches there. There is a female physio in, in the team. So it's good, as you said, to have that female representative of some sort in, involved. And I do know as well that there's very much a leadership role with the senior females and the senior female team. And in our country, for example, our very very high level and with that comes a little bit of respect as well that that maybe they're seen as more even higher role models so i think that that's important 
um, in terms of coaching. I think that it will improve in the future, the, the amount of female representatives in the coaching side of things, because from what I can see, there is more and more people now who are transitioning from junior to senior and retiring. Um, of course, for the males, it's a little bit different because just thinking off the top of my head, a lot of the senior females who would have been around there when I was younger, they have their own families now and they have their own kids. And sometimes your, your life kind of airs off that way. So, of course, that is a challenge for females as well. Um, uh, uh, compared to the males a little bit where they go and have kids. Um, and, and there's obviously that I, I feel more commitment needed from, the, from, um, from females then as a result. I mean, as a mother, if you go in and give birth, for example, to somebody, like you're not going to be able to go and travel with a team and give that commitment compared to a father, for example, like there's, there's plenty of fathers who have newborn children and they, they can still contribute that time to a team. So I think that is obviously a factor. Um, but I think that as some of the females transition and they retire, and as well, the fact now that there's lots of them involved in coaching on the lower level in their club, I think that's massive because that, that will naturally want them to progress through and so for me i believe that in the future there will be much more females represented in our sport as coaches um are there any psychological exercises apart from the ones that we've already spoken about that you would recommend to your elite students if they needed calm nerves or even just to simply see if it'd improve their performance at all yeah like there's there's plenty of exercises out there like you can use your breathing you can like there's there's methods there of like holding your breath for a specific number of seconds and exhaling all those you can look these up on google there's muscle relaxation um techniques and exercises whatever but i think all of this stuff has to be all the work for the mental side of the game has to be done prior to the event so you need to understand all of this stuff first of all and how it impacts you and then after that, you need to be able to put in a structure and a, an almost like a system in place. You can't just like have a couple of things in the back pocket and then just pull them out on the day of the tournament and expect them to work. You need to almost practice them and find your own, your own routine because we're all individual in terms of something might work for you and something might not work for me. Um, so being able to adapt and to almost have that trial and error process with your exercises and how you deal with these things is very much individual. Um, so, yeah, I think like there's so much you can do and it's easy to go up and, and look things up online, but it's finding what works best for you is so important. And I think that, um, yeah, I think being able to control your emotions is important and that can translate into your, your everyday life. And just the whole idea of being present, you, like people use meditation and all these things, is very, very much useful. So, um, yeah, I think that there's plenty of exercises there for people. It's just about experimenting what works best for you, trial and error, and then putting that into your, your process and your, your preparation. Um, now I'm going to go into a bit more of like the weight cutting sort of area of the sport um so how is the weight cutting process different for national team athletes and uh club level athletes and is there obviously there's a difference in the importance um 
but what's the actual difference in the whole process so from the day that they find out okay you're weighing you've got a weigh in at this and mm -hmm. then the steps they have to take okay that's such an interesting question and straight off the bat personally i believe that people shouldn't be cutting as much weight as they do in our sport we don't get any advantage apart from maybe a reach and a height advantage is the only thing that you get and it like it's not MMA or grappling or a sport where your physical size and strength has a massive bearing on the outcome. And I think that people are cutting ridiculous amounts of weights. And um, you have like, some people um, like losing over 20, 30, almost like pushing up 30% of their body weight, which is absolutely ridiculous. Um, and I think that the problem with that is you have young guys looking up to it. And I know from a personal experience of seeing younger guys, it's almost like it's, it's considered cool to be cutting weight and being in the sauna the night before the weigh-in. And it's almost like something that the younger guys would look up to. And I think it's, it's something that we need to get rid of it in our particular sport because, number one, it's not necessary. Number two, a lot of people don't have the knowledge of how to do it correctly. Um, this is an amateur sport at the end of the day and most people are, are, are guessing what they're doing some people have backing of higher level coaches and nutritionists and things like that to help them do this correctly but again why like why are you cutting so much weight it's not like you're doing it for millions of, of pounds as a prize fighter or things like that so we, I think step one if you're cutting like more than five kilos at the very high level and then the lower weights you come down even less i think that it's ridiculous like for me personally i walk around at like an 85 kilo mark so for me to lose like three kilos compared to somebody who fights at 57 there's a big difference um and, and i think that people need to kind of almost fight a little bit more within their weight category because it is a big problem that a lot of people have. As, as we said, the young guys looking up to them is, is massive. And we have people cutting 12, 13 kilos there before they compete. It, it's not good. It's not healthy. It's not safe. Do you think for juniors to cut so much weight, it's really dangerous to their development, like when, when they're about to become an adult? Hmm. Yeah, I think, but I think it's for everybody, seniors and juniors. Yeah. Because a lot of the time you're depleting your body of essential um, things that it needs to, to thrive. And if you want to go and perform and like just very simply your hydration levels aren't up to point and things like that, it, it's, it's not good, especially when you're taking blows to the head. If your hydration level is, is not correct in your brain, like that is very, very much detrimental to your to your health going forward and um, in terms of the physical development i think yeah it's, it's not ideal i mean as a junior you want to be able to grow into the, the body that you're that you will naturally have when you're like pushing up to that like 80 19 20 year old mark and um, so like to, to pull that back and hamper that is not good for your development it's not good for you to develop as um it's not good for you like emotionally either i mean if you have to like really restrict yourself in terms of like 
friends' birthdays, for example, if you can't go and celebrate a birthday with your friend or something like that, like that's very, very difficult emotionally. And a lot of people will, will um, they might not see the, the effects of it now, but they will in the future. And so I think there's a fine balance there between sacrifice and doing things correctly and then overdoing it unnecessarily and, and, and losing out on development, not only physically, but socially, emotionally and all that stuff as well. It can really, really impact you with the weight cutting side of things. And I think that people are, are doing it at a crazy amount and it's, it's not necessary. Um, so at a club level, in terms of their weight cutting process, is it, is it necessary or do you think it's kind of a case of kind of show up and enter in whatever category you naturally are sitting in right now? I think so. Luckily for us, a lot of the, um, the junior categories are height in Ireland. So in the ITA, there's a fantastic um, system there for the, the three tournaments that we have nationally every year. And they're all heights. And I think that that's very much important. Uh, weight is important at the senior level, especially with guys are, who are less skilled. Because if you can have somebody who is a massive, I know I said earlier that weight doesn't have a, a massive impact in our sport that at the higher level. But when you get somebody who's not very skilled and maybe they're a yellow belt and they don't know how to control their techniques and stuff and, and they don't know how to defend themselves correctly and you've got a, a person who is like massive compared to somebody who's really small, that, that is difficult and that is very, very dangerous. But we see in our sport and team sparring, you can have somebody who's 57 kilo compete against somebody who's 90 kilo. And there's never really problems or injuries or because people understand at that elite black belt level, how to defend themselves, how to move, how to look after themselves. But, but that's not really the case at the lower levels. They don't have that experience and they know how yet. So weights there are very much more important, especially at the senior level and um, at adults. So, um, yeah, I think that for color belts, I think it's it's important to fight within your weight and very much close to it. I wouldn't be um, I wouldn't be recommending for my my students to be cutting crazy weights for tournaments. If you're if you're sitting a kilo or two above it, and you're you're probably eating a bit of junk there that you could get rid of, by all means, no problem. But if you if you're trying to lose a stone in a week to get to a weight category, don't think about it. No, that's not happening. Don't do that. Um, so obviously, you, you'll you know um, when you go and weigh in an international competition like yours or Worlds, more often than not, there's a few teams in the same room at the same time uh, waiting to queue up and go and do it. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, when someone doesn't make weight, there's the big buzzer sound that uh -uh, echoes around the whole room, lets everybody know that you haven't made yeah. weight. Um, what are your thoughts on that buzzer? So for in terms of a junior, so you've got a 14 year old junior just come up, uh, female or male, and they're basically being told that you're overweight in front of everybody. Mm. Yeah, that is interesting. I never thought about that before. Um, for some people that actually could, could be, um, something that would impact them. Of course, they're disappointed they miss weight first off because they're probably not going to compete. Um, but then if somebody has like body image issues or whatever, and um, like that, that's not good, you know. So I never thought about that before. Like 90% of people who compete at this high level are in very good shape anyway. 
but some people are in fantastic shape and, and they're very much athletic and they don't think they are. And so I guess something like that can, can impact it. Um, yeah. But then at the same time, it, like, yeah, I guess, is there really a need for that buzzer? Probably not. And it could easily just be like a, a visual sign on the board or whatever as well. But I guess either way, your whole team is going to know eventually it's published online. You're taken out of the draw. So, but in terms of like, I get what you mean in terms of the buzzer and, and just like in that moment, it might not be a good feeling. And um, from a psychological point of view, yeah, it's, pro- it's probably unnecessary really. Um, but do you think also on the flip side that regardless of your age, you've entered into a nas- an international competition where you knew the stakes. If you mm. can make that weight division, maybe you should go up one. Yeah. Um, or so do you reckon it's kind of more a case of you shouldn't really be bothered too much about the buzzer because you should be making the weight? Mm, well, that, that's what it boils down to in, in the end, but it, it all goes back to what we talked about originally. How much weight were you losing in the first place? Like if you were going for minus 50 kilos, for example, at a championships, there's only a certain amount of slots available. Maybe there's no more slots at the higher division. Maybe you're walking around at 52 kilo. Like if you're 52 kilo and you're making 50 kilo and you know this with potentially three months in advance, that should not be a problem to do that safely. Whereas if you're trying to lose that two kilo the night before and then the buzzer goes off, that's on you and that's your fault. You know what I mean? So it's very much a case by case one and it depends. But you got like some people aren't they don't have that know-how then as well and they don't have the backing of a knowledgeable coach and things like that to be able to help them through that process and some people are just literally starving themselves for two days before the win um so yeah that that's not good so i know a lot of teams now these days are a bit more in tune with it and they have um information and their education there for their athletes to help them with this but it all goes back to knowing what people are starting out and like if, if you're if you're trying to make 57 kilo and you're walking on a 70 kilo you shouldn't be allowed to compete for that division yeah um so what do you expect of your national team students as rounded people that would be perhaps a little bit different to your club level athletes so not just i suppose not just how they are in training but everything mm. from when they bow into the class put their bags down line up everything like that what do you expect of them hmm. i think i'll like all i ever expect from anybody whether they're white belt for the first day or a black belt there with me for 10 years i just expect work ethic and attitude i mean it's very very simple if you come in there with a good attitude and you, you're willing to put in the work that's all I can ask from anybody. And that's all I expect from anybody ever. I mean, everything else then will take care of itself. And um, if you come in here with an attitude of maybe you're over cocky or whatever, like that's not the correct attitude to bring into that kind of an environment. And my students know that because it's what it's expected in the culture of the club for many years. And it's set from the top down. Like if somebody joins, they're going to almost work in with what's already there and if everybody is towing the line in this respect then they're going to as well you know what i mean so it really it, it comes down to setting the tone correctly from from when you begin 
and then have that follow all the way down. And, and that is very difficult to get at the start because I remember when I started off and you have beginner classes for the first time. And um, it's like when you're trying to coach people who never did this before and you have to teach them the discipline and how to stand and what to do, it is very, very difficult to do at the beginning. But once you put in that work, then it, it, it fits from the top down and it's a little bit easier. Um, so do you think there's there should be more organisational structures in place um, amongst national team kind of standards um, to help juniors cope with all the stresses like of training, schoolwork, decision making, social life? Because obviously, you know, some of them will be 17, 18, deciding where to go to uni and things like that. Or do you think that that's something that should just fall on the shoulders of the juniors and that they should be able to work out themselves? It's a tricky one. Um, number one, most of these organizations, uh, excuse me, organizations are amateur organizations and they don't have the resources to be able to facilitate this or the time um, in, in most cases. And second of all, these are kind of things that every teenager has to go through and every person has to go through regardless of whether they're an elite athlete or not time management and dedicating themselves to things and so i think the lessons although difficult the lessons that people can take from that for the rest of their life is very much valuable so i think going through that for yourself as a learning pro process and being able to to deal with those um, is, is a very valuable lesson for you as a person and it's a good takeaway to have for the rest of your life at the same time, if it's something that really impacts you negatively and it's getting the best of you, it's important to know that you have somebody there that you, you can kind of talk to and somebody who can support you and somebody you can have that discussion with to help you through it because you don't want anybody that, that's in the environment really suffering or getting overwhelmed or really being absolutely miserable. So, um, yeah, I think in itself, it's something that everybody has to deal with. But at the same time, if somebody isn't able to cope with it so well, um, having, having the structure there in place that, that people can help you in and give you maybe arm around the shoulder and, and guide you in the right direction is, um, is very important. Okay. Um, this is the last question I've got. Is Do you think psychology exercises are important and greatly improve performance? Or do you believe that they're not a huge part in the success of elite athletes? Some people have it innately and they can just take to the mats and perform at a very high level. Majority of the population need that support of the, the mental game. And I think that everybody can benefit from the education and knowing it and maybe implementing some of it. Some people just do it by chance and it's what they do and it just helps them so well. But um, most of the people, I think the mental game is something that's very much overlooked and there's almost like a stigma behind it and people don't really discuss it. Um, so it, it is something that we've kind of tried to put out more information about um, on, a, on a page that I run on Instagram um, just trying to help people because I do understand from being there myself and from having athletes and, and teammates and friends, whatever, that the mental side of the game is so, so important, especially in a combat sport. 
it's an individual sport and you're competing individually in a combat situation against another individual. I mean, like it's, it's kind of stressful. So being able to deal with that and being able to have the tools behind you to support that is, is very, very important. And everybody will need it in some regard. Some people deal with it better than others. Um, so yeah, for me, it's essential. Okay. Uh, that's the end of the interview. So thank you Brilliant. so much for doing no this. No worries. I enjoyed um, it. It was a good chat. Uh, I'll stop recording it.